Hello and welcome to the Mac Gamecast episode 36. I am John Carr as always and with me today is Casper. How are you? Hey, doing well. Thank you. Awesome. So we're back to continue our best games of all time. We're now in part three. There's going to be a lot of parts to these as we uh, do it all together according to scheduling. Uh, speaking of scheduling, today's episode will probably be shorter, 30 or so minutes, um, just a game or two each. Um, but it will be fun. So we had Ted on last time. Uh, he regaled us with a lot of interesting games, much older games, which makes sense. He's got a longer gaming history than both of us. Um but yeah, it was fun fun to hear from him. I think I did Warcraft three and maybe Escape Velocity with him, if I'm you remembering did. correctly. Mm-hmm. Um and at some point somehow I mentioned Eurojank. <laughs> yes. I don't remember why, but I immediately thought of you and I'm like, wait a minute, I can't really talk about this without Casper. Um But yes, you know, I guess I guess the term sounds like negative, but to me I I find it more endearing personally. Like actually really like a lot of games that would be mm-hmm. called Eurojank. So uh, I don't think of it as a negative term myself. Yeah, I mean, I had honestly never heard the term before I heard you say it when I listened to the podcast you did with Ted. Um, but when I heard it, I, I like immediately knew like a whole category of games. So I, I, that, that totally fits into that. And like, I I think fondly of a lot of those games. So it's, it, you know, even though it might sound negative, I don't necessarily think it, it feels negative, if you know what I no, mean. No, it's pretty funny. If you just Google the term, there comes up, like, the best 10 Euro jank games you can play. And it's from, yeah. you know, some, like, reasonably mainstream gaming news sites and stuff. So I, I thought that was amusing. <clears throat> um, but since you've been hearing from me and Ted last episode, why don't you start off with a game that you enjoy? Sure. So since we've had uh, games on... Now, both uh, from Ted last time, and honestly, also a few of the ones I mentioned uh, when I was on last were a bit old. So I thought we'd take one that's uh, quite a bit newer, uh, and I'd like to bring up uh, Disco Elysium, which does on macOS, and in fact, even uh, was one of the first games with a native Apple Silicon version. Nice. Um, yeah. So keeping, <laughs> uh, <laughs> funnily enough. When I did my first episode of this uh, best game thing, I also brought up a point-and-click adventure game. Um, and in some sense, I think Disco Elysium, I wouldn't necessarily go as far as to say it's a full-on point-and-click adventure game, but it, it it's a lot like them. Because hmm. you have this uh, isometric camera angle and the gameplay is basically point-and-click-esque. But you don't have the traditional point-and-click adventure game uh, tropes of puzzles that are absolutely insane where you don't know what to do and you have to look up a guide because who knew you had to put the rubber dog on the tracks right um instead there's a lot of different ways of progressing from any point there is not a, a linear path through the, through the game um there's and it was okay so something this Elysium does that is extremely interesting to me that i thought i would hate when i started the game but that i actually wound up really appreciating is a system in which every time you do an action, whether you talk to someone or just move around or anything you do at all, time progresses. And the game uh, plays out over, I think it's five days, maybe it's seven days, something like that. Mm. Um, When time's up, time's up, right? Um, If you can stand still and ponder things as long as you want, time won't progress from uh, from just doing that, which I think is good. But as soon as you start moving, talking to someone, doing an action, time will progress. And and this uh, mechanic really makes it um, such that you prioritize what makes sense to do. The game will still give you uh, downtime periods where the big events, you know, maybe you can only do them in the morning or in the evening and stuff. So when you have those down, uh, downtimes, you can pursue the dumb quests um, that are still fun, right? Um, but but it really gives this interesting dynamic of feeling pressure to solve the case quickly. I should mention, uh, it's a game where you play as a detective and you're trying to solve uh, a murder case effectively. Um, but it, it becomes bigger and bigger all the time. Um, so it's, it's more than just the murder of this one guy it has implications for the whole town and the union and all these sort of things but it's a it's a really good 
fascinating game. Um, and I actually think it was made in Eastern Europe, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I think it was. I want to say, like, the Czech completely off on that. Um, but it, it at least um, takes place in a fictitious land. Uh, I think it's called Elysium. Um, which has inspiration from Eastern European style in a lot of aspects. Um, so, yeah, there's that at least. It says it was written and designed by an Estonian. Estonia. So Estonia, I believe, is Eastern. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Eastern Europe. So, my job Have you tried this Elysium yourself? Yes, yes, huge fan. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, like two years ago or something, we did some kind of review for it um Mm -hmm. on the show i think it was you and i and maybe lily or ted was there or sam i don't remember who quite a while ago uh i haven't completed the game but i've played the intro section like the first couple hours over and over again Mm -hmm. trying out completely different builds and completely different um what do you call it doing things at different times of day like you were saying because the game's not just a detective game it's a kind of it's a hardcore rpg sort of Mm -hmm. pseudo life sim as well it's a really fascinating game that's very much a game, but also very much an experience. Um, incredible game, like so creative, so inventive. It won a ton of awards, rightly, um, for its, uh, I think, for its like writing, its story, uh, like best new game design, whatever kind of awards they come up with. Um, it's a super cool game. I hope to see more from the studio, although there's all sorts of weird legal troubles going on with them and some sort of CEO and original owners and blah, 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 and people getting kicked out and coming back. So who knows what will happen with the future of the game. But as it stands, it's still, I think, one of the most creative and interesting games ever made, like really mm-hmm. in the history of gaming. And even if you don't necessarily love this sort of kind of point-and-click adventure style, I agree with what you're saying. It's just so fascinating to experience. Like I've shown it to um, just some of my friends, some of my family, even just like, look how cool this game is. You know, mm-hmm. what you can do in your thought cabinets and your upgrades and how you can, like, you know, harass and make fun of people and just kind of, like, screw with the game world. Mm-hmm. But then it'll also screw with you back. So Most definitely. Fat, just yeah. awesome game. I think it's so cool with what it does. Uh, and I didn't complete it out of, out of a lack of interest. It was because I was juggling several different games at once, including that one, and I never got back to finishing it. But I think it got around halfway through, like you said, yeah, maybe five to seven days and um, but yeah, mostly trying out all the different um, attributes and builds and like if you have really high, I think, what is it, visualization or perception, when you go to the murder scene, you can actually like, the game like visualizes it for you, how it happened. Yeah, it's you know, sort of like which, detective mode almost. Yeah, exactly. And all this cool stuff will come up. But if you don't have those higher attributes, that won't happen, you know, so it's like, okay. And like the annoying kids who harass you there, okay, well. How do you how do you deal with them? And again, based on your attributes, very different. I think I actually died trying to punch the kid because I had like a heart oh. attack. <laughs> oh wow! Because <laughs> I had really low strength, and then I like missed and got stressed out, and then like my heart failed, and I just died. <laughs> the game actually has an end condition as well, pretty brutally, where you shoot one of the kids. Oh my lord! And wow. the game just goes: you got fired from the police court, but you kill the kid. Right. Right. Um, yeah, what's also interesting, yeah, is it it actually handles a lot of like philosophical, mature themes, whether it's you know violence, sex, drugs, historical stuff, racism, like all these interesting things of life. Well, not all of them are necessarily interesting, but like facets of existence, so to speak. But it actually like lets you engage with them in interesting or thoughtful ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, but not in a uh, what do you call it frivolous way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the game accounts for it and usually has some sort of consequence or commentary about it. So I, I also quite liked how they... So the game also centers around this uh, dispute between a workers' union and the company that wants the workers to keep working right. <laughs> uh, during a protest. And um, I found it interesting how the game talks a lot about communism, socialism, capitalism, while never entirely coming down on one side or the other more just pointing out flaws in all of the systems uh, and right. allow, allowing you to go like i'm gonna be the you know uh, fighter of capitalism or the fighter of uh, communism or whatever but no matter what you do you wind up looking a bit like a turd because 
if you push too much into it, you become a bit of an extremist and an asshole. <laughs> uh, yeah. right. So the game t- likes to take the piss on on a lot of angles while still be doing it in a way that has serious points. And it, yeah, it's kind of cool. Yeah, it is cool. Because um, no one likes a preachy game, I think. Mm. At least I don't. Um, and I appreciate the flexibility as an RPG should. You can actually kind of really be... Ex- like some games, I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but they railroad you in a particular direction. Even if there's like an illusion of choice, it's like, well, you're forced to be the good guy. You're forced to be the bad guy. Or suddenly you're, you now support this cause. It's like, well, I didn't make that choice as a player. The game just decided that's the way the story's going to go. So yeah, Disco Elysium is really cool in that it presents a reasonably balanced approach to all these like big ideas. Yeah. yeah, but I think that heavily depends what the game's going for. If it is a game that's trying to be an RPG where you're not playing a character, you're playing your character, then absolutely right. it should allow you to make the choice. But if it's you're just playing a character that already exists, I think that's right. perfectly fine. It is, especially if the backstory is, well, they're mm-hmm. the good savior of humanity or they're the cop or, you know, sort of Mass Effect style. Like, well, you are mm-hmm. a character, you're Shepard, like he has he or she depending you know has a role in in the in the world and you can you know be a jerk by going renegade but you're still like the yes. good guy so no i agree that's fair um, and this girl leaves me sort of does a middle thing between that because your character does exist before you take control of them and they have a backstory and you know they have existed in this world for a long time but you've basically like at the very beginning of the game you basically wake up from being so blackout drunk that you have complete amnesia, which means that from that point onwards, as the player, you can redefine your character. But who they were before that point, they still were that person before you took control. And the choices they made before you took control and tried to redefine who they were, that can you know still have consequences on who you become after you take control, which right. I think was kind of interesting. Um, it is, it is. But as you say, also with like all the different choices and how you build your character and go about things, I think the game has tremendous replay value. Um, I've watched my girlfriend play through uh, some of the early game uh, after I completed it myself. And there were things that happened where I was like, oh, wow, I really thought that was like a thing that had to happen, a fixed scripted event. But no, it just didn't happen to you. Okay. I I was very surprised by a lot of things. And then, of course, things happened to her that I was like, that can happen? And like, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, really cool. I agree. The, that's why I mostly spent my time doing that replay stuff, like you said, of the first couple hours and just, yeah, seeing wildly different outcomes or unexpected things or just, you know, mooching around the, the city like a bum and like scavenging things and wandering in the stores and just, yeah. Uh, the sense of time is really interesting because... It's true, you know, a lot of these type of games, you know, take any Elder Scrolls type game or big RPG where it's like the world's at stake due to XYZ thing, be it a dragon or some evil villain or whatever. It's like, well, I'll just go wander off for 100 hours and do side quests. And mm-hmm. no, there's there's no penalty for that. So Disco Elysium doesn't necessarily penalize you. It's just like, well, you do have a time frame. It's not rushed, but like... Mm-hmm. If you don't get things done, they don't get done. And there are some consequences for that, you know? So I do like the system and I wish more games would implement something like it, not Mm -hmm. something, not like go, go, go and punish you just, but if something is urgent, like um, presented as urgent, like, oh my God, all these people are in danger or whatever. And you're just like, well, they're not really in danger until I trigger the quest in the location they're at and then maybe have a time frame. So, um, yeah, it's it's a great, it's a real living, uh, get a sense it's more of like a living world. Mm-hmm. And also how, it. like, as you say, a living world, things happen around you, regardless of what you do. When you reach Tuesday, the world has changed. It doesn't matter what you did. Like, some things will be different because of what you did. But there are also some things that just happen because they happen. New people are going to arrive and some people are going to leave and all these things happen. Right, and right. you have new things to react to and respond to as time just progresses naturally. Yeah, it's very organic. I think that's the best word I can describe the game. Your own mm-hmm. exploration and discovery of it feels organic. The NPCs feel really in-depth and reactionary and just very interesting. Like, the writing's so good. And now that the updated version adds voice acting to everything, mm-hmm. um, 
it's just fun to go and talk to someone and kind of just see what happens and what like either nonsensical or very interesting conversation you can have. What to speak of the conversations you can have with yourself, (laughs) 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 you know, like parts of your brain and whatever, all this stuff and the narration. All all your skills represent like a part of your brain that can talk to you with different personality traits and stuff. It's it's kind of funny. It's truly fantastic. So yeah, I, you know, if I'd remembered it, I probably would have put it on my best games of all time list, but I didn't. But I also didn't finish it. So really all the games I have on my list are games I have completed and I've played thoroughly and replayed. So uh, that's also a thing. If I thought of it, I may have held off anyway because... But I 100 like unequivocally agree. Like One of the best games of all time um, should be experienced, even if it's not your usual genre. You know, pick it up on sale or, you know, uh, if you're you're doubtful or something. Um, Mm -hmm. 100% agree. Super cool game. Uh, I'm also going to jump into a RPG, uh, which is Divinity Original Sin by Larian mm-hmm. Studios. So uh, I'm going to, I'm picking number one, the first game, just Divinity Original Sin. Um, uh, I played the, what's now called the classic version, mostly. There is now an enhanced version, which is the de facto version. It's replaced the classic version. But that came out quite a bit, like a year or two after I'd already played a lot of it. Um, but what I really liked about Divinity, well, one the reason, one of the reasons I got hooked on it is because they had an early Mac beta um, hmm. before the game fully came out. This was a Kickstarter game. I backed it on Kickstarter. Um, so the whole first act of the game was available as like a beta. I think I actually spent more time in the first act than I did the rest of the game later when it came out because I, I, I spent so much time exploring it. Basically, I took the same approach I did in Disco Elysium and I just replayed this first area over and over again with totally different characters, making different choices, different builds, because the game's very flexible. Um, so the basic premise of the story is, um, you know, it's a fantasy land with magic and monsters and that kind of stuff. Um, there's elves and dwarves. So it's like high fantasy, but it's not really like outrageous high fantasy or anything. It's not like over the top. It's like, I don't know if it's the right description, but it's kind of grounded high fantasy. Mm. Like it's not too crazy. It doesn't get really out there. Um, but essentially you're the magic police for all intents and purposes. Um, you're out there to catch like rogue magicians and source users as it's called in the game. Um, so you're always controlling two characters at a minimum, uh, which I actually really liked because I also like to play games duo multiplayer, like two player, two players is really my favorite co-op style as well. Um, so I completed the entire game solo and also duo in, in uh, different times. Um, but the initial, uh, Quest lines are also pretty interesting. You get to a town. There's a whole like genuine murder mystery you can solve as well if you want. The game isn't really like it's not like a detective game. It just so happens there's this one quest that takes you a couple hours of like actual detective work. You have to hunt things down and check out notes and talk to people and ask questions and like dig up a body and all this kind of fun stuff. Uh, but really, at the heart of the game, uh, the heart of the game, it's real time exploration. But then it's turn based combat. So the bulk of the game is combat. Um, but, you know, in true RPG fashion, uh, there's also some other skills like persuasion and charisma and a couple like um, out of combat skills you'll need um, bartering and so on stealth. But the bulkier skills and your gear are related to combat, but it's a really fun creative combat system um, that relies on a lot of elemental stuff, which is fun. You know, you can create ice and enemies will slip on it or electrify water or uh, make steam clouds. And of course you don't have to go magic. You can go more physical body roots and become super strong that way, but uh, very flexible combat system, really fun elemental interaction system. I haven't quite seen a like RPG or strategy game have that level of like combo effects off spells. Mm. And the AI, a, excuse me, <clears throat> the AI isn't too shabby either, especially on harder difficulties. Uh, can really put up a good fight and kick your booty, but the reason why I'm picking game number one as opposed to Divinity Original Sin number two, arguably number two is the better game overall, like in terms of its systems and more refined mechanics and stuff like that. Um, but the reason I like number one more is it had a much more whimsical approach to the story and its world. Not mm. to say it wasn't serious, but it just had this sense of fun that was a little bit absent in number two, like just this a mute like sort of oddball sense of humor. Um, there's this little like goblin guy or Zex or something you meet up with and you get your own like alternate little realm home mansion you can build up 
over time and unlock new rooms, um, which is also, again, absent from number two. Number two, you get a ship, but it doesn't feel quite the same. Mm. And I like that in number one, your builds were, you couldn't just reset your build at any time. It's something I actually really disliked about the second game. It was a, it was relatively meaningless to pick a class and build up in it because you just go to this mirror in the bottom of your ship and you can reset everything at any time for no cost. Mm. You would have to reinvest money in buying new like spell books or skill books, but that aside, there was zero, uh, you know, like investment, and I didn't really like that. I prefer investing in a character and like this is my class I'm going to build for the game. Not mm. to say yeah. in the first game you couldn't reset anything. Um, but you had to make a pact. You have to make a pact with a demon to reset your skills, and you can only do it once. And there was actually consequences for making that pact, like later in the story. So I like that better. It was more like thematic in the world rather than magic mirror reset me anytime I want. Eh. Some players, I'm sure, would prefer like the, the skill mirror, whatever you want to call it. But I like actually picking something and like this is who I'm going to be for this for this run of the game, so to speak. Mm. It was more appealing to me. <laughs> Sure. Um, yeah. Uh, one of the original Sin games got an iPad release at some point, didn't it? Uh, I think both of them are actually on iPad, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Um, both Divinity Sin, original Sin games, so or DOS, DOS. <laughs> I, I always uh, wondered yeah. about that because I could, I can't imagine it being a very pleasant platform to play that kind of game on. I don't know if like I'm totally off there, but I feel like it's a kind of game where you would want a precision device like a mouse or like you would control, think even a controller would probably be better honestly but maybe an ipad pro at least with a bigger screen uh it definitely has controller support so i would be surprised if people who are playing it on ipad um didn't play with a controller yeah i can't really imagine i mean the turn-based combat is one thing but you do have to do some fairly precise aiming with your spells because you know mm-hmm. you can like hit a wall or a boulder or whatever or hit a friend or like hit a different target than you intend if you don't aim properly. So I don't know how they handle that on the, on the iPad version. Cause I only mm-hmm. played with a mouse and keyboard. Um, but what's also fun about playing it solo or duo is uh, you have to make a lot of choices in the game. And if you disagree on something in the first game, you have to play rock, paper, scissors <laughs> <laughs> to see who wins. Like if you disagree on a choice, well, then whoever wins gets to make the choice. Uh, of course, if you both agree on the same choice, then it just goes on. But if you're playing solo, you can actually set a like temperament for the other companion because mm. you have to always play with two characters. They're like named characters in the story that like have a whole fate and destiny in the world and are involved in all this stuff. Um, and so you can set them to be like agreeable or temperamental or whatever. And so it, it's also fun. You can do that. In typical fashion, you can also recruit various NPCs to be your party members, you know, hmm. the fighter, the wizard, the thief, the rogue, or you can hire mercenaries to, like, fill out your party. I never really did that because, like I said, I like playing it too. Um, but if you're playing multiplayer, it does play up to four. But if, in that sense, the second game is better because you can truly create four characters that are, like, your own. They do also have, like, named background characters or story characters in number two. But... This game was slightly awkward that like two of you were like kind of the heroes of the story and the other two were sort of the add-ons. So in that sense, I agree. Uh, Divinity Original Sin 1 is probably a better one to two player game, whereas DOS 2 is a better three to four player game. But I don't think I'd want to play the games at that high a player count because there really is like it's semi-open world within the act you're in. You can just wander around and you don't have to stick together. Mm. So, you know, person A can be off in the city just yakking and selling and person B can be off in the wilderness fighting and doing whatever. So having four people do that, like it could be interesting, but I I think it'd be a lot of chaos. And they did sell number two a little bit as like, Oh, you can mess with your friends and prank them with like poison potions and this and that. But like, I don't know. It's a co-op game at the end of the day. Like how much are you really going to mess with your teammates? Like Mm. it's a small element of the game. That being said, with a number two, if you were playing a named character, the uh, the possessed bard, you could actually like screw over the entire party at the end <laughs> of the game um, with like making a pact with this like godlike demon, and then you have to kill all your party members to win the game. <laughs> um, so you know it's it's a cool game. You know the music's ex- excellent. Again, there's voice acting for everything. The graphics are good. Um, both games are on Mac. The second game. Really, what I probably didn't get into it as much. Also, the Mac version was very delayed. There was no Mac beta. 
and the Mac version came out like a year after the PC release. So I played through it, had a good time, but I was a little like put off by the delay. Mm. I kept waiting, waiting, waiting for a release, never happened. And I was like, okay, whatever. And I went and did other stuff. Um, so the first game I got into so heavily, it's also what I built my YouTube channel off of, now largely defunct. I mean, the podcast get posted there, but that's kind of it. But mm. um, I built my channel off of doing, in terms of like numbers and views, off of Divinity uh, tutorials. <laughs> and I Did got, you ever try the older uh, Divinity game before Originals? Uh, I think there was a bunch of them. I tried, I think, a demo on Bootcamp or something. I forget which one. Uh, I think there's more than one of them, if I'm not mistaken. There, there are. There are several of them. Right. So, um, yeah. I, I've personally tried uh, Divine Divinity 2 Ego Draconis. Wow. Which is a bit of a mouthful. Uh, yeah. But in that one, you can transform into a dragon. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. No no transformations in Original Sin. I mean, in number two, you had the Polymorph Tree, which would give you, like, extra claws or a bowl head or something, but no like super crazy stuff. Oh, but, but the game's like, it's also completely different to how original sin plays. Um, it's all right. like real time, traditional action RPG style of gameplay instead. So I yeah, see. Right. It's, it's very different. Um, but you do still have this system where you uh, become the dragon Lord of an Island that you then, you know, you can build your uh, like, okay. like, mansion castle type thing on this. Right, island. Right. So there's still sort of that, like, base building of sorts um right but yeah otherwise yeah, La yeah larian's larian knows what they're doing with rpgs they're doing Baldur's gate 3 right now um i did try it as in i bought it played it for like 90 minutes and returned it um hmm. really cool game i don't love like full dnd systems in the game in divinity original sin all the dnd stuff happens you know behind the screen under the hood so to speak um mm -hmm. whereas in Baldur's Gate 3, it's more like in front. It's, there's like little die rolls shaking around on the screen and all that stuff. Um, so mm -hmm. I definitely prefer Divinity Original Sin style where like if you hit someone with a spell, they're going to get hit. There's no like chance to fizzle or miss or whatever. You could miss physical attacks, like especially if you're attacking higher level enemies, like instead of 100% chance to hit, you might have 75 or whatever, but you could also boost your attack with like stances and buffs and blesses and whatever, so... Uh, wasn't crazy, but yeah, Divinity Original Sin, really fun games. I think they are again some of the best RPGs made in general for their freedom. I, you know, I there's a lot about the. I could probably ramble on for ten or fifteen more minutes about the game and all its like random creativity and goofy stuff and crafting and experimenting you can do and like freeform world exploration and uh, various secrets to solve and very in depth quests and um, you know some some interesting mm -hmm. things, but. Um, yeah, it's just a game that begs to be explored and it really rewards you for exploring and discovering and coming up with cool character combos and powers. And, you know, um, I mostly built two hybrid characters, so they became kind of overpowered. Um, they each had like three different magic levels, but they're they basically both battle mages, so they could like do huge AoE physical attacks or like super nasty magic. So um, I have yeah, considered so. trying it a few times, but I've always been a bit put off by the isometric kind of um, multiple character RPGs. Um, right. Like, I, I like the kind of Final Fantasy games where it's that really JRPG-style turn-based combat. Mm -hmm. But those uh, RPGs where you control a party of characters in that traditional CRPG style has never appealed as much to me uh, as action RPGs right. and JRPGs. But I don't know. Um, there are still I, some yeah. of them I really like, so... I agree in general. Uh, that's why I tend to play them at one or two characters and, and, and intentionally avoid recruiting additional party members. I don't want to run around with three, four, five, six, eight, whatever characters, especially like the older Baldur's Gates and Icewind Dells or whatever. I think you had huge parties. So even in the old Fallout games, you could recruit party members. I never did. I ran around alone, you know. Um, so in Divinity Original Sin 2, you can't actually go do it true solo. You don't have to have any party member ever. I think there's some temporary quests where you have someone with you um and there's plenty of people who offer to join you especially early in the game but you can just say you know thanks but no thanks bye um and ignore them all so um number two you can do true solo but number one is forced two characters due to the way the story is so something to consider um but they're both brilliant games number two is it's it's cool it's a cool game and both have like a huge modding community as well which i'm always crazy about Nice. You know, I probably played each one with like 40, 50 mods installed. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, all kinds of fun stuff.
the game doesn't need modding to be clear. It's very good. I'm just a crazy mod person. So <laughs> uh, I just found a guy um, who put over 300 compatible mods in Cyberpunk 2077. He's my hero. So um, I, I'm going to work on that this week to jack up if my you, mod. Um, if you play the game with a DualSense controller, um, there is a mod that uh, makes the PC version have the same feature set for the controller as the PlayStation version. Mm. Um, where normally if you play with a DualSense controller on PC, um, it doesn't actually make use of all the features of the controller, like the trackpad and the adaptive triggers. Okay, and yeah. All the different vibration motors, it just uses one one of the vibrations. That's like full right. controller vibration. There is a mod that um, basically tells the, the PC version, treat it as a PS5 version. So all oh, the controller no. features are made use of, um, which is one cool. I can recommend if you want to use that controller. But yeah. Nice. That's cool. Um, do you have more time to yak about more games? Should we cut it off here today? Uh, I feel that we can do one more. Uh, okay, sure. All right. Well, so, I've yaked about uh, so go ahead. Yep. Uh, I'll bring up another um, of the more recent games uh, that is also Mac compatible, which is XCOM 2. Ooh. Um, in general, I like the XCOM franchise. I've not played the very old XCOM games that much. I've like after XCOM Enemy Unknown, uh, I got really into XCOM and then I went back and tried some of the older ones and they have aged, especially the menu systems. (laughs) Um, I still think they're good games and that they are designed well and that they, you know, are well balanced and you can tell that they are well made but they're also a product of their time and the menu systems are hard to navigate and they expect you to have read the manual that came with the fixed physical box copy of the game you bought (laughs) before you started playing the game because there is no tutorial system or anything, like no in-game hints or anything. It just expects you to know what all the buttons do, even the ones that don't even have a name. They're just a big circle or whatever. (laughs) Classic off-its-time things that we fortunately don't do anymore in game design. As much, I guess, at least. Um, but XCOM uh, Enemy Unknown uh, was the first of the modern XCOMs to come out while maintaining that traditional turn-based combat and style of XCOM. Um, where, to those who don't know, it's a game where Earth is invaded um, by aliens and you control the commander of the XCOM unit which is this worldwide organization to uh, which is set up to fight the alien invasion you have soldiers from all over the world trying to push back the alien threat and then you want to maintain good relationships in enemy unknown with all of the world's nations such that you can push back the aliens and they don't lose faith in the XCOM project and shut you down um it has a reputation for being a hard game uh, so XCOM on, uh, Enemy Unknown came and then they made it an expansion pack called XCOM uh, Enemy Within. Little side note, I have massive respect for expansion packs and not just DLC add-ons, but full-on expansion packs that like fully um, reinitialize the game with a fresh spark of, of, of new air or whatever you say, a fresh breath of uh, whatever. Yeah, you know what I'm trying to say, right? Um, and like really... Um, morph all the existing systems uh, into something bigger or more different or interesting. Um, Yeah, I I feel like the idea of expansion packs have faded with the years since uh, DLCs became more easy to push people in smaller chunks, Um, where in the old days where you would go out and and buy your DLC or expansion pack, it wasn't downloadable back then, as a physical disc you would add to the game they tended to be a lot bigger because, you know, you couldn't just download a small bit. You had to convince people to buy a big expansion. And I feel like that was better than a lot of the tiny, you know, you just get a new costume DLCs. Anyway, side tangent. Uh, The XCOM Enemy Unknown and Enemy Within games slash expansion pack uh, had a reputation for being difficult. So when they made XCOM 2 as a direct sequel to those, Naming, again, a bit confusing because it's not the second XCOM game. It's just a follow-up to Enemy Unknown. Uh, The story took uh, the approach that the canonical ending to XCOM Enemy Unknown was that you failed. Difficult game. We just say everyone failed. (laughs) So the uh, the aliens have taken control of Earth, and now uh, the XCOM uh, unit, I guess, is um, 
a resistance instead of this big global uh, nation-funded organization. And you're trying to push back the aliens again, but from a much smaller guerrilla tactic kind of perspective. Um, XCOM 2 is a little bit less difficult on the base settings. You can still go to insane difficulty settings and make it really hard. Uh, but as a base, it's less difficult, less punishing. And all of the soldiers have more powerful abilities. Um, like something as simple as healing another unit in the original XCOM, you had to stand next to each other to apply a med kit. In um, XCOM 2, you can get an ability on a soldier where you can send a little bot that can just fly over to them, heal them, and then come back. So you don't need to have as much um, physical proximity between your soldiers, uh, which in itself is also dangerous because if they stand too close, a grenade can blow them all up. Yeah. Um, the turn-based combat in, in XCOM is very intense. Um, and I think a beauty of XCOM 2 is while it boosts your tactical capabilities, making all your soldiers have more interesting and powerful abilities, it also, especially late game, gives the aliens more interesting and new abilities to play with to still keep the playing field sort of leveled. Um, and it just adds a lot of tactical depth that these uh, new mechanics are introduced relative to the first game, um, especially in terms of moving around the field. You become a lot more mobile in the second game. Um, but in parallel to the turn-based on the field fighting the aliens, um, XCOM also has a base building aspect where after each mission you return to your XCOM base where you can build out the base and you can build uh, upgrades for your units and all these things. Um, and it has this uh, almost one more turn effect that people might be familiar with from Civilization games in particular where you sit there and you go, ah, just one more turn and then you end up being in bed by 7 a.m. Um, <laughs> Because every time you're in the field fighting the aliens, you sit there going, ah, then I get these upgrades and I can build this when I get back. Can't wait to get back and build my upgrades. Then when you're building the upgrades, you're there like, ah, I can't wait to get into the field and use these upgrades. And it's a super good feeling feedback loop where you keep being positively reinforced by everything you do and feeling better and better about all the mechanics that supplement each other um, and complement each other. It's really good. Um, yeah, I, I have a lot of love for uh, for XCOM 2. I think I've played through the story like five times at this point. Um, nice. Completing it uh, and played many times where I failed. Uh, have you played War of the Chosen as well in XCOM 2? Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, again, absolutely love the idea of expansion packs. And War of the Chosen is an expansion pack to XCOM 2 that overhauls a lot of aspects of the game uh, similar to what Enemy Within did for the original XCOM Enemy Unknown. Uh, it changes the structure of the story, um, adds a new story mission that are fixed, where most of the missions will have randomized aspects. Some of the story missions are fixed and how they are laid out and what they're about. Uh, War of the Chosen adds new of those fixed story moments. It adds new enemy types, new abilities, uh, new chosen as they're called which are super powerful aliens that uh, you have specific missions to hunt down and kill um, but if they just die normally in the field they will respawn you need to hunt down their base and destroy their recovery chambers and stuff uh, but it also equally like XCOM does this brilliant thing of every time it gives you something it gives the alien something every time it gives the alien something it gives you something so when the aliens get the chosen powerful aliens you get factions uh, where each faction has a special soldier type as well that you can recruit into XCOM. So you can get the Templars, which are super powerful psionic units that can use almost like magic in air quotes, right? Um, and you get, um, what are they called? I, I forget the name, but there's another one, which are basically um, the alien foot soldiers, but converted to good guys. Right. Um, and then there's the Reapers, which are basically like stealthy assassins that can stay uh, undetected for longer during missions and stuff. So Yeah, I was a big fan of the Reaper. I think they're maybe snipery as well, and I think the other guys are like mm -hmm. melee-based. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't necessarily say melee, but definitely closer quarter combat. Maybe closer, um, yeah. I, it's been a while since I played, but 
You know, what's funny, I was going to pick XCOM 2 as my game to talk about, so it's actually perfect that you did. I have a lot of love for this series as well, again, starting with Enemy Unknown. Um, The older games I was aware of, the old, old ones, but I don't think I ever tried more than a demo. And I did go back and try them, like you said, they are pretty darn dated. Um, It's worth mentioning the expansion back thing. I mean, we could probably have a whole show about this, but um, I remember being how... uh, how struck I was from Enemy Within in the first one. Like, wow, this is the sort of expansion I remember from like 10 years ago, the kind of ones I used to expect and love for, you know, your Warcrafts or Diablos or even certain shooter games. You'd get like a true expansion. And it really was. Um, And Mm -hmm. I loved that it wasn't just this like tidbit of DLC. To be fair, XCOM 2 has a little bit of that. There's like a costume pack you can buy and whatever. But Oh, XCOM Enemy Unknown also released I think they was called like um, what was it called? Guerrilla Tactics Pack or something. something that was also just right. like um, extra outfits for your soldiers and stuff. Right. Um, yeah, it's true. Um, to be it fair, was also priced are... accordingly, right? Yeah, so... it was. You got a ton of them for like 5 or $8 or something, not like mm-hmm. $10 for one skin nowadays, right? Or $20 or whatever nonsense. But um, yeah, War of the Chosen is so cool. Like XCOM 2 is already an excellent game. But War of the Chosen almost makes it look like the original game was a bit of a prototype or like a beta or something. It's like, well, here's the real game with like all these cool new systems and layers to interact with. Mm-hmm. Now, to even go one step further in that, there is, in fact, three little DLCs you can add in. I think it's Anarchy's Children, something about the rulers, and some other thing, um, but it adds some extra, like like a like a name story mission, like old scientist thing. She has to go and like explore her father's. Oh, I order. forgot that was a DLC. That that's right. I, it yeah. feels like it should be part of the game, but it's actually a DLC, so it's a little odd. Um, so and the, right, okay. Yeah. Now that you mention it, that that DLC specifically, right, has two versions. Because uh, if you bought it for XCOM two, you get one thing, but if you also have War of the Chosen. That DLC as well gets overhauled by War of the Chosen to become right. something different yeah. yet again. Correct. It, very yeah. cool. Because if you start a new game, you can actually toggle what you want on. Mm-hmm. So if you have War of the Chosen, the like superpowered enemies, and the rulers, who are like these crazy strong aliens, you can actually have a chance of them to spawn both in one mission, which happened mm-hmm. to me once. And it's like, oh my God. Because even one of them could like wipe out your whole squad. Two of them at once is like, run for your lives. Um, it's fun. Yeah, it's. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. It adds this, like, like gives the aliens a real face. They're like a named adversary who's out to get you and makes it, like, more personal. It's it's really fun to, like, hunt them down and get their stuff. It is also, though, a bit of those things where, you know, similar to how I said uh, the original XCOMs were products of their time. Um, while I don't think this is a dated design, I think it, it holds up perfectly. It's still something where I look at it and I go, I can see your inspiration. Because this came out briefly after, um, what was it called? Uh, Shadow of Mordor? The um, Lord of the Rings. Nemesis system, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they had that nemesis system. And I think it's very clear that they've drawn inspiration from that. And it was very popular in the industry when that came out. And everyone was talking about how great of a system. Right, right. And I, I think it's very obvious that XCOM drew inspiration for the War of the Chosen from that. That doesn't, like, it's not a negative thing at all it's still a unique system it's not just like uh clearly ripping them off they were just inspired by it but it feels like a clear inspiration i would agree yeah because you can you can wound them and they'll gain certain traits and retaliate they can kidnap your soldiers and then you Mm -hmm. have to go on rescue missions optionally like it's it's fun stuff um and i think a key point what you said is all the uh two main game sides reinforce each other like the base building side and the combat side there's a mm-hmm. great synergy loop there. Like you said, constant feedback of, I want to get back to base, so I want to get back on the field. And um, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it's actually on sale right now for like, I think you can get the whole thing for like $10 or nice. $12, like something crazy. I mean, I would happily pay full price for any parts of this game and say it's worth it. You can play it 60, 80, 100 plus hours easy, hundreds of hours. I know people have thousands of hours into this game. I mean, I think um, I have 250 or something at this point. I have, I think, 100 or so into each game. But mm-hmm. talking about it, I want to install it and like go play it right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't work that well on silicon systems, or maybe not at all. But No, it, it runs a very poor frame rate on Apple Silicon. Um, and the first XCOM, Enemy Unknown and Enemy Within, had Mac releases, but I think they were 32-bit. 
um, and you can install them through Wine, um, where you install the Windows version. But on right. uh, Apple Silicon, I get up like ten frames per second on an M1 Max. So right. not great experiences. They run perfectly fine on on Intel based Macs. Yeah, uh, they still. Well, I say perfectly fine. They still run a lot worse than if you uh, booted Windows on that Intel based. They Mac. are up. They are uh, resource hogs even on Windows. But it's true even on Mac, it's not awesome. Um, I, I would say though that the performance on the Mac version is about half of the Windows version on the same hardware. Right. Yeah. It's uh, it runs and you can have fun with it. I still run XCOM 2 on Mac OS when I don't feel like booting into Windows and I'm having a blast and it doesn't matter. But it is a thing to keep in mind that it if you true. have like an entry-level MacBook Air with an right. Intel chip, <laughs> it, right. it might, and even if with an M1, since we just pointed out, it doesn't run, run that well on Apple Silicon. But if you have a machine that can run it um, or if you can boot into Windows to get a little bit better performance that way, uh, if your machine can't run it on Mac OS, highly recommend them. Yeah, incredible game. Just the turn-based combat is super fun, very tactical, as challenging as you want it to be. Again, insanely moddable. So much mod for this game. Entire new campaigns, overhauls, cool new gear, classes, aliens, missions, just on and on and on and on it goes. Customization, you know, it's like crazy. Have you tried Long War? Yeah. Didn't finish it, but tried it. Long War is basically a mod that is a free expansion pack in the same vein as how Enemy Un- uh, Unknown and uh, War of the Chosen are overhauling expansion packs. Long War, uh, both, uh, so there's two Long Wars. There's Long War, which is uh, the expansion pack for XCOM Enemy Unknown, right. full overhaul of XCOM Enemy Unknown. Then there's Long War 2, which, funnily enough, is a full overhaul of XCOM 2. Now, it is a full overhaul of XCOM 2, not War of the Chosen. It does not work with the expansion right. pack. Um, but it like extends the campaign's length tremendously and adds a whole bunch of system for this like longer term, more uh, nitty gritty style combat system. Uh, and you know, it changes the way the camera moves such that instead of moving in like, um, what is that? Like 90 degrees angles, it moves like 45 degrees every time to give you more, uh, of a better look of the battlefield and stuff and adds like a, ton of new grenade types and a ton of like it just adds so much to the game and is a complete overhaul just like installing an expansion pack but as a free mod and it's incredible yeah it's a little Um, more like sim sim like like injuries i think take way longer to heal and like all the sort of little more like detailed aspects of the game which is already reasonably detailed and really like deep dives that um, like it's a little bit like um for those who are also dnd nerd if you think of um xcom 2 as being like 5e then mm. uh enemy uh, sorry uh, long war is a bit more like 3.5 or a pathfinder or something like that um to those who don't speak D, you can think of it as like xcom 2 or even enemy unknown for that matter being a bit more like um let's maximize the moment to moment fun and have it be this like epic legendary fight against the aliens where the long war uh, mods make it a bit more like actually uh, pretending to be this leader of the XCOM unit um, and dealing with the micromanagement stuff more, um, which, you know, if you're the kind of person who enjoys digging deeper with things can be tremendously enjoyable. If you are more after a moment to moment style, just a fun loop, I would say, it's probably not a mod for you, but I still recommend trying it because it's free. There's nothing really to lose except, you know, going through a mission or two and concluding, eh, not for me. Right. Yeah. But I, no, I it's, can recommend yeah. it. It's incredible, the mod support for that game. It's bonkers. It's like, I don't know if I've encountered a game with as much mod support, like in depth. I don't mean number of mods because, you know, let's take Cyberpunk. It has thousands of mods, but like half of them are cosmetic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but th- this is a game that the modding community mostly focused on actual like systems of the games. So it's, it's yes. very interesting. It's, it's pretty dark. Feral also were really good about how, um, I say Feral, Feral Interactive made the Mac version. I meant, um, yeah. what are they called? Is it uh, 2K? For Axis 2K, yeah. For Axis and 2K, yeah. Uh, were really good about supporting the mod community. So in addition to, you know, having tools to allow official uh, development of mods, they also were financially and development 
aid involved in um, in the Long War mod. Um, so Long War One was just entirely a community project, but uh, Firaxis liked it enough to where when they were developing XCOM Two before they even released XCOM Two, they were in talk with the people who made the original Long War mod giving them early access to XCOM 2 and helping them out and, you know, um, supporting the project in general to make Long War 2 happen and be ready for around release time for long, uh, XCOM right. 2. Right. I remember hearing about that now that you mention it. Yeah. Very cool uh, community support from their side. Um, that is cool. And also, actually, on the on the Mac-specific side of things, um, Feral has the Feral launcher thing when you open... Um, pretty much any feral interactive game. Right. And they have mod support built directly into that launcher for XCOM 2, which works so nicely. You can toggle on and off all the mods from the feral launcher. Uh, and they have like a big toggle all the mods off on uh, at the very top and stuff. It's it's very nicely made for uh, a Mac-specific launcher. It is. It is. It works fantastic. It reminds me of the uh, same... They did the same thing for like Warhammer uh, 40K... Uh, not 40K... Total War Warhammer games, like Mod Support mm-hmm. Launcher. It's all in the Steam Workshop, um, but it's so easy to use. But yeah, I couldn't have more praise for XCOM 1 and 2 at this point. Even if it was, even if XCOM 1 ran perfectly well on the Mac these days, I would still recommend XCOM 2. I just think it's the more interesting, more in-depth, like more fun, more entertaining game. Um, in comparison, I mean, I was happy to play 1. I had very little criticisms about it, but when two came along, it was like, okay, this blew me away. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. I say unfortunately, the devs went on to make Marvel's Midnight Suns, which when I tried a demo of it, I would have to say legit was like one of the worst games I've ever played in my life. Um, I was shocked that these are the people that made the XCOM games. And I don't say that because I hate Marvel or something. I played so many Marvel games and um, watched all the movies and whatever. It's just, um, and we're going to wrap this up, but like, <clears throat> it just had none of the polish or depth or interest that the XCOM games have. Like the environments were like empty and just weird. The animations were janky. Combat was odd. The script and dialogue was terrible. The story was done. Just the whole thing. I just like, these are the people who made XCOM. What happened? This is supposed mm-hmm. to be a triple A game. Like I've seen indie games that do better in every category. It was just bizarre to me. It was received well by critics. It's even well rated on steam. But apparently it was a commercial flop, according to, you know, whoever who runs 2K. His name begins with Z, something or the other. Um, So I'm not happy for anything to fail, you know. But I'm sort of happy this failed because it was really successful. They'd probably make another one. And I'm like, could you just, like, make XCOM 3 or something instead? (laughs) Uh, Please, you know. Um, But I don't even really know what I would want from an XCOM 3, honestly, because, like, I guess you could just retell the same story, but I feel like you'd have to wait significantly more years before it feels relevant to retell the same story in like a remake kind of fashion. How X-Command uh, and no effectively was that? Yeah, the uh, the running fan theories, because I've dug into this, um, based on the original, the old old X-Con games, there mm-hmm. was a um, <clears throat> some sort of like under the sea, sea-based expansion. Right. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, that would be like. And I think there's even some hint of that in XCOM 2 somewhere. I forget where. Maybe it's like a log or a line or an Easter egg. But like the theory would be the next game would be set there. There's actually like, okay, we've kicked the aliens off the Earth. I believe there's like a different variant or something under the sea and they've emerged. So it's like, you know, okay. there'd be like water-based combat or under-based, maybe even underwater missions or something crazy. Um, right. That, or at least that very different enemy sense. types. You know, that more like sense. crustacean aliens or something. Um um, just it, while we're having this conversation again to wrap up quickly uh, there is a really good XCOM like game called Phoenix Point um, yeah, I've heard which is clearly this. inspired I have played a lot of it 30-40 hours um, again it was a Kickstarter game which I backed um, it's not as good overall because it, it was more indie it's more like a double A game or something like that um, and there's definitely a little like clunkiness to some of its systems but it also does some really interesting things that are better than XCOM in terms of the base management, the combat. Um, every soldier has a free aim option, which is super fun. You can like aim down their scope and target body parts of aliens. Um, oh, and actually, like, like uh, vats or something like that. From yes, the very much like that. So you can like shoot the gun out of their hand, blow their leg off, reduce their movement. Um, cool. 
but you can also just fire as normal, like XCOM style. Um, it's definitely like a little, again, it's a little more like sim based. There's a little more detail to combat, a little more detail to base management. Similar thing, you know, you're a little more guerrilla style. You got to discover there are multiple factions. You can ally with them and trade with them and all this kind of stuff. It definitely has some flaws. Like I would rate XCOM to like a nine out of 10 or even 10 out of 10. I'd probably rate Phoenix Point more like a 7 or 7.5 out of 10. But it's still, like, if you like this style of game, it's really fun. Does a lot of cool things. Runs well on Mac uh, or PC. It's on Steam. It's on the Epic Games Store. There's no real mod scene for it, so that's unfortunate. But there is four or five DLC packs, which add, you know, more missions, more soldiers, blah, blah, blah. But the base I games like are very this out because I, I love the XCOM series. So. It's it's a good game. Um, I was very happy to play through it. Um, I kind of want to. I've been meaning to actually play through it again. Uh, I've heard the DLC was kind of poorly rated, except for maybe one or two of them. Um, like messed too much with like game balance and this and that. So yeah. I I don't know about the DLC, but the core game is pretty cool. Has some interesting systems. Um, and if you're a fan of this, like. I remember talking about it with another XCOM fan, um, uh, someone who used to be an old writer long ago. I worked with a German lady named Fran, I think. Sorry if I'm getting her name wrong. Um, and she was a huge fan of Long War and XCOM, and she had also backed Phoenix Points. We spent so much time. We were just playing it and talking every day on back then on Skype, of all things. Mm. You know, ah, rah, rah, Phoenix Point, this, and oh, cool, we just discovered that, and comparing to XCOM. And we had concluded initially, like, we actually like this better than XCOM. Oh. Like, this is cool. And then we played more and ran into like some of the problematic systems. We're like, well, maybe not quite as better than XCOM, but it mm-hmm. still does some really cool, unique stuff. That's really fun in the space. So as, yeah. as a last little addendum to this, do you know about uh, XCOM Chimera Squad? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I've played it and briefly like an hour, I refunded it, but yeah. Okay. So yeah, that was also like a little extra thing there. The, was it made by the same team that made the base XCOM games? Uh, I, mean, no I think anymore. it. I think it was. Right. I think it was them. Um, uh, it yeah. didn't have any of the base building stuff, right? It just had no. Yeah. Well, not not really. No, you were like a police squad, but like canonically, it's after you've defeated the aliens in XCOM Two. So you now have like aliens integrating into your police force to help like hmm. peace and diversity and whatever all this stuff. You know, racial tensions or. Whatever racial, how do you term that? Alien, human tensions, whatever you want to Species call it. Species tension. <laughs> Species, yeah, there you go. Um, I actually thought the game was pretty cool, and it was like a cheap game, $10, $15 or something. Uh, let me see. It's made by Fraxis and 2K. Um, definitely less positive rated. I tried it fairly recently, actually, a few months ago, and mm. I didn't return it because it wasn't interesting. Um, I was looking for like a shorter turn-based strategy game, but mm. it wasn't just quite the one I was looking for. Um but I think it's pretty solid for a, like a ten fifteen dollar game, and you can buy it for like five dollars on sale. No Mac version, unfortunately. If I had a Mac version, I'm sure I would have already played through it, like because it was released in what twenty twenty. So, mm-hmm. um, but as it is, I did I did boot camp it a bit ago. But interesting game. But yeah, lacks the base building, but the combat is pretty cool. And then there's like fun breach systems where you can send characters to different rooms and have explosive charges and who in the order they breach the room in, they might get different bonuses or penalties. And it, it's fairly interesting. And you can pick your missions to like, oh, well, this part of the city's on fire. We got to help over there. But, oh, there's like a bonus mission over here, you know. Um, and I think the troop cut, like soldier or, well, police, whatever, soldier customization isn't quite as in-depth because all your characters are named. They're not like freeform. They're like, well, yeah. this is who they are and this is like their skill tree. Um, yeah. Again, pros and cons to that system, but... For like a bite-sized XCOM game, I think it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I mean, opinion. that's the um, perception I, I have of it as well. I've not tried it, but yeah. Not bad. Definitely not as good as the regular games, especially if you want that whole base-building aspect and the more like epic, you know, we're fighting to save the world type of thing. This is just, well, I'm going to go crack down on some like drug lords or or... Uh, or whatever. There is some overarching story, something about a bomber who like killed the mayor or governor or something. And, mm. you know, they're like human extremists and aliens and blah, blah, blah. You know, there's some story there, but uh, not a bad game, but it's definitely way scaled down. You're fighting in rooms and warehouses. I don't think you're ever really outside other than maybe a couple street missions. Um, mm. So if it just small, if you go into the expectation of it being small scale XCOM, mostly on the combat side, I think it does what it sets out to be. But if you go into it thinking like, 
XCOM, but then you're going to be like disappointed because it doesn't mm-hmm. have all these systems you might uh, have expected to be there, and they just aren't. So, yeah, yeah, Dif- different game. But I, I think it's. I mean, you know, it's definitely less well rated on Steam. It's only what seventy two percent positive um, instead of like ninety six percent positive or something compared to the other games. But um, yeah, I'm I'm actually sad Feral never ported it to Mac because I I definitely would have played it and beat it by now. Just so happens these days. I'm I actually a little more thought moody. it would have a Mac version because, like, all the other of the major XCOMs did, and I, they yeah. even have iPad versions of the XCOM games. Right? Yeah. No, I, you know, probably it's just one of those things where it wasn't overwhelmingly, uh, you know, like received so positive. And I suspect, as has been the case in some Mac porting, like, there's maybe plans to do a game and then it comes out on PC and the mm-hmm. reception's like mixed or not. Only like, yeah, six, seven out of 10. And they're like, well, Maybe not. <laughs> yeah, but on the other hand, the XCOM Enemy Unknown and 2 had... I don't know about Enemy Unknown, actually, but 2 at least had a very early Mac release. Like, Was it even like simultaneous to the PC? Or it was close. Very early? I think yeah. it was a couple of weeks or a month or something later. Yeah, it was very close. So that, um, that would have to have been like co-developed. They couldn't have just have yeah, done that. Yeah, no, that was, that was like peak feral, you know, around that time. And I would argue that, what, 2014, 15 year, 2014 to 16, that was also like peak Aspire in some cases. Mm. Um, different conversation. But I agree, like they were, they were on top of it. Um, I remember talking because I was still doing journalism stuff at that time. And more like I had some of the feral guys on for interviews and this and that. I related to XCOM even and they gave me early access to XCOM 1. I remember that to do like a mm-hmm. preview write up, like an early, like same day review. Uh, XCOM 2, I don't think I got early access to. Mm-hmm. XCOM 1, I did. So that was fun. But yeah, they were, they were all over XCOM on Feral. It was great. But um, yeah, I don't know what Feral's doing these days. I don't know if they know what they're doing, but that's well, I mean, okay. they're apparently working in Grid Legends still, I guess. <laughs> that's true. Apparently they are. Uh, and theoretically, again, Company of Heroes 1 and no, two came out on Mac, but maybe three. The same thing. Company Heroes three was like a little squiggly on the reception. So like, who knows? Yeah. I don't really know what they're doing. Yeah. But um, yeah, XCOM two easily one of the best games of all time, especially with when you add in the expansions and you add in mods. It's just like you could spend hundreds and hundreds of hours happily. In that game, there's even some sort of PvP mode. Did you ever play that? The multiplayer. Um, my brother and I played uh, the PvP mode for XCOM One a fair bit, and Maybe we tried it's only the PvP. No, no, the two has it as well. Okay. We tried okay. one match of PvP in XCOM Two, but we tried like I don't know fifty on XCOM One. Okay, um, it's fine. Like if you're sitting in a room with a friend and you're like, "Let's play XCOM," it's fine. But it, it's not the main attraction at all. <laughs> and it's just like it's you can do it in a th- two minutes and, and you have fun for two minutes. And then you're like, OK, let's do something else. Right. It's fine. Yeah, I think I played one or two rounds of it. I don't even know which game might have even only been one. Um, yeah, same thing. Just to t- I think it was a number one, not even number two. Yeah, it's you get like a budget of so and so much currency to build a team. And then you build right. a team, and then you fight with that team, and you're done. Like, yeah, yeah. It's fine. <laughs> Interesting idea, but yeah, not not the main attraction. Yeah, fantastic game. But yeah, check out Phoenix Point. Um, you know, I can't promise you'll love it, but I think it's a very interesting game. Um, I've also got, I also have, it's like kind of on my backlog of replays. Like, yeah, I wouldn't mind another run at this, because you can actually have variable endings depending on the faction you pick and stuff ah, cool. to ally with. There'll be a different like final sort of arc of missions and whatever. And you'll actually get different technology based on who you ally with and all this kind of stuff. So it really influences the course of your game, which is cool. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Phoenix Point. Again, I don't think I, you know, I think the whole game is $50, $60. I think the core game is only 40 I kind of forget the pricings hmm. change. But again, there's always sales and whatever if you're not, you're not super confident. But yeah, if you do end up trying Phoenix Point, we'd love to hear what you think about it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've got other things on the radar for the moment, but it's on. I'll put it on my list, and we'll see uh, if I get to it at some point. But um, yeah, let's see. Really quick, Phoenix Point. Of course, it has a Mac version. Oh, it's only twenty five dollars for the core game. Huh? I thought it was more than that. I mean, if it's I get it at some point, I will get it on like a summer sale or something. Yeah, uh, you know, seventy four percent positively received on Steam. So you know, pretty yes. solid. 
Uh, there's even apparently a Mac demo. Ooh. I mean, it's showing the Mac thing under demo. You see, I, I have this on Epic, was where it's originally released. I don't own the Steam version, so mm. I didn't even know that was there. Um, yeah, oh, interesting. Nice. Interesting. Yeah, but not an expensive game, but still mm. pretty substantial, like a 30, 40-hour campaign. You know? Nice. Yeah. Okay. Well, that is it for this episode. It ended up being an hour anyway. I'm a big fat liar. <laughs> uh, Worse for me. But yeah, we'll wrap this up uh, and be back. Well, whenever we're back, according to schedules, could be a couple of weeks uh for the next set of games but yeah thanks for coming on it was really fun to hear about uh disco elysium and xcom 2 from you um and likewise for divinity on your end thank you all right uh yeah thanks for making the time and uh thanks for listening everyone and we'll catch you next time cheerio bye-bye